Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Are you looking for fierce female role models? Are you wondering where the women were hiding in your history books? Are you tired of people justifying female servitude by saying that's the way it's always been? Well, welcome to Whining About History, the women's history podcast where two longtime gal pals chug some wine while talking about women from history you probably haven't heard of. Side effects may include getting buzz, a little hangover, getting empowered as hell, and getting a kind of angry maybe. But in a good way. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And thank you so much for joining us. That was good. That was, that was a good intro. I told you my intros are always better when I have to come up with them five seconds before you hit the record button. You know, or I hit the record button and then you just stare at me like, even though we just talked about this, <laughs> I forgot I was doing the intro. Emily, you're doing the intro. Okay. Hits record. Oh shit. I'm doing the intro. <laughs> Seriously, I, I'm coming. To, OK, so I had a teacher in fourth grade and me and like two other students used to stay after school because we were struggling, especially mm-hmm. in math. And I found out later I have a learning disability, you know, Yay. junior year of high school, just in time to do anything about it. And the teacher kind of identified that I have a really poor short term memory. Like once it's in there. I'm good, but getting it to stay there is really bad, which is why I can tell you. So I was, I saw a friend and we were looking through her old drawings from high school. I'm like, I remember when you did that drawing. I remember exactly the story behind it. And I remember what you were wearing that day and why I can do that. But I'm like, what did I have for lunch an hour ago? Right. I don't know. Yeah. I'm the same way. <laughs> the struggle is real, people. Or I was like, I was talking to someone and they were like, oh, what did you do last weekend? And I was like, I have no idea. Like that, it's just blank. <laughs> we do that sometimes uh, at work. We have production meetings, and like at the beginning yeah, of the comes week, up, we'll, you know, we'll you go talk through about and like, it. oh, what did yeah. everyone do this weekend? We don't do it anymore because we're on such a time crunch. But uh, plus, it's like uh, I would have my to, house. <laughs> right? But I would have to like rehearse in my head, like, okay, this is what you did last weekend. This is what you did last weekend. That's and it's like, funny. Emily, what'd you do this weekend? Nothing. And then after the meeting, I'm like, oh, I should have told them that I jumped out of a fucking plane. <laughs> right? Like, just tell them something random. Well, and, you know, it's like, oh, I did something actually really cool and exciting that I wanted to share. And I blanked. Right. <laughs> All right. It would totally happen. I would do this, like, life-changing event. And I would just be like, uh, nothing. You know what's going to happen if I ever get engaged? What'd you do this weekend? Nothing. I don't know. I, You know, just kind of hung around the house, got a little cleaning done. Second I hit end on the call. Oh, shit, I should have told them I got engaged. And it will go on like that until the wedding. Right, and you're like, oh, yeah. Don't forget, guys, you're invited to the wedding. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Uh, Kelly, you I have do. a say I do. Name. I know. It's never me. I'm a terrible person. So I've been seeing we've been getting a lot of new followers on social media and getting a lot of new listens on our podcast and stuff. So for you first time listeners, welcome. We love you. I'm going to hold you close and love you and protect you from all well, the bad we'll things in the world. We'll hold you between us. Betwixt mine breasts. <laughs> no, both of us. Betwixt why, why do you all our breasts? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, so something we do uh, at the beginning of a lot of our episodes is we do a say their name. And that's where we shout out someone who is doing something really cool. It's not just women. It's not just men. It's not just gender fluid, non-binary people. It's anyone who's doing something cool. We've also shouted out listeners or listeners ma'ams. Hi, Hi Veronica. Veronica. <laughs> Veronica is like our our mascot ma'am 
I like, love, like I she's her. like, other than our mom, she's like the third mom of whining about her street. Yep. I hope she still listens because I love her. I do too. I also love her son. Right. He just seems really sweet. He just he's seems like, like a sweet guy. He's like, can you, can you, my mom really likes the show. Can you like talk about how awesome and she is like, and how sweet yes. she is? And we're like, I will do that forever. Right. And here we are still, still doing, doing it. Uh, so this, this week, this episode, um, I caught this headline i don't actually remember where i saw it initially i think it was probably facebook because i don't really go on any other web well facebook twitter or instagram because those are really the only <laughs> three websites i go on um but i wanted to congratulate uh lieutenant junior grade madeline swegel uh who became the u.s navy's first black female fighter pilot in its 110 year history god damn so she graduated i think this past week and will get her wings of gold which is what like the pin they get to become a fi- fighter pilot, I believe, at the end of the month, which is just when they're doing it, um, which I think is super great. And at the same time, and this is not to push aside Madeline, but more to also celebrate someone else. I don't have a name for the second one, but um, the S- Army's Elite Special Forces uh, soldier graduated this past week, becoming the first woman ever to join the Green Beret team. Holy but due shit. to their secretive missions, they don't give out the names oh, of their graduates. I, I was going to say, like, do you just not have, did they just forget her no, name they, or they're just not publishing Just because it? of what the Green Berets do. Yeah. They don't publish it. Cool, cool, so, cool. Yeah. I respect. I get that. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, they're, and it's really cool. Madeline's accomplishment is because, so, Rosemary Mariner in 1940. 1940- 1974 was the first woman to fly a tactical fighter jet. So that was 45 years ago. But she was not a fighter pilot. She was the no, first. No, she was. Oh. Beck is the first. Or Madeline is the first black female fighter pilot. Oh, oh, I see. Not that it matters. Um, it's it's a huge accomplishment because everything is harder yep. for black women. And there, there was a black woman named Brenda Robinson who did earn her wings of gold, but she was a flight instructor in a VIP transporter, not a fighter pilot. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think it's really cool because it's 110, you know, 110 years. I think that's just amazing that the Navy's finally, like branching out and and they even last month the navy actually announced that they created what they're calling task force one navy which is to deal with racism sexism and other destructive biases within the navy thank god right I'm like it's a little late and but here's the thing though i feel like every business every organization everyone should be doing that all the time it's because right. it's not something you do once and you're like Oh, we're we're all equal now. Everything's fine. We don't have any problems. It is like this ongoing thing right. that always needs to happen. Yeah. But what makes uh, Madeline's accomplishment, I think, even more incredible is an investigation in 2018 that was done found that out of the 1,404 pilots, only 26 were black and 33 were female. Wow. So it's less than 2% of all pilots assigned to jet platforms were black, like total. Mm-hmm. So she's the first black female, which is, I think, absolutely amazing. Well, and to become a fighter pilot is extremely difficult. It is. There's so much and that I'm goes sure into it. And I'm pretty sure you have to have perfect eyesight. Yeah. I'm pretty sure to fly any military plane, you have to have perfect eyesight. So it's not yeah. even that, but like, yeah. So that's super exciting. And congratulations to her. And that's I, she's going to do amazing things. 
I really hope. So first of all, I think so we were discussing the pronunciation of her last name before the episode. I think that we settled. You said Swaggle. Swaggle. Yes. Uh, I first of all, if we got that wrong, we're very, very sorry. Uh, we think we got it more right than the Google robot voice which, that which says Swiggles. Swiggles. <laughs> Swiggles. They like, added an um... S and I'm like, that cannot be right. Although, here's the thing. Lieutenant Swiggles and she's fighting a fucking fighter jet. Like, that's also cool. Right. You know she would own that shit. Oh, yeah. I would put it on the plane. Like, just name the plane. Yes. Swiggles! Exactly. All right. So. Emily, you picked our wine for the second week in a row because I did two in a row. <laughs> so. Uh, we'll be back to normal next we week. Are, we're going a little off brand, a little off road this week. We are drinking some Stella Rosa, which we have had before. That's like one of my favorite, like, sparkly, Moscato-y wines. Like, if I just want a wine to, like, really down while I'm watching Disney right. or something, Stella Rosa is a great one. But we are drinking our first canned wine i know i've i've looked at canned wines and i i've never gotten one and it's funny because next week we're doing a boxed wine yeah so, we're, we're going we're off road classy yeah th- th- this is a wine that will travel with you yeah but it's so it looks like those little soda cans like from japan you yeah, know how they have really the, the short uh, but apparently ones. this one can is considered 1.5 wine glasses Shut the it fuck up. That, it's, uh, 250 <laughs> milliliters, which is 1.5 wine glasses. Oh, my God. Product of Italy. They know how to do it right. So this is some Stella Rosa canned uh, tropical mango. And it says, a low alcohol grape wine specially or yeah, specialty. specialty with natural mango flavors. So that means this thing has probably the closest it's come to a mango is like maybe no, it someone says, ate a mango for says, lunch near it. Uh, made with real fruit flavor. No, it doesn't even say fruit juice. Never mind. Yeah, I was going to say flavors means flavor. nothing. It is vegan and gluten free, though. Oh, cool. Let me see if it says anything fun. It contains wine, grape must, what? sugar, natural flavors, sulfur dioxide, no added juice. And according to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcoholic beverages during pregnancy. I wish they would just say, like, pregnant women. I don't know. It just seems like extra yeah, no, words. I, agree. I think they're trying to say, I, this is my conspiracy theory. I'm not a conspiracy person, but this is mine, that they're subtly trying to say that women should not drink. <laughs> right. They're just subtly being like, Like, they might as well just put it in parentheses. Right. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to pop the top yeah, right into the it. mic here. All right. One, two, three. Should we still clink? Yeah. Let's. Uh, Cheers. Cheers. Can <laughs> we both did it really, really gently because I don't want to. We should have cheered full. before yeah, we, we popped the top. Have. Oh, this smells really sweet, though. I love it. It's almost too sweet. Oh god! I'll drink yours. That'll be three glasses of wine. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out: is it like sparkling? Stella Rosa is. Oh, yeah. It's it's the I can't bubbly drink stuff. A ton of it then. So. Okay. Well, put it in the fridge and then I'll have it next time I'm over. It's always what Justin says when I want to try something like carbonated. He's like, just let it sit for a few hours and then you can drink it. And I'm like, I mean, technically, <laughs> maybe I can have it tomorrow if I do the. Uh... You're Sorry. snacking that, aren't you? Because well, it gets the bubbles out. <laughs> but it is very good though. Maybe I can drink it tomorrow if we do the uh, the roar. 
training. Oh, yeah. So a little bonus shout out here. Uh, Roar Training is an organization, I believe. I, they have locations everywhere. I think their like, main you hub have, is in Virginia. You have to get Virginia. up early and do it because it'll be at 8 a.m. It's 9 a.m. Eastern. Oh, damn it. <laughs> it's so early. Eastern, Why? Um, but basically, they're all about uh, teaching women self-defense and empowerment and safety. And on, uh, well, by the time this comes out, it's too late. So I'm not going to worry about the details. Yeah. But they're doing a virtual training uh, as of this recording tomorrow, tomorrow while you're listening to this like two days ago for like uh, safety and self-defense and all that. So maybe I'll just like sip on some Celerosa and learn how to like push some dude's nose up into his brain. Right. They're listening and they're like, that's not what we do at all, actually. I'm really excited. Like, <laughs> the last time I think I took a self-defense course, I think it was like senior year of high school, where they actually had like people come in to do a self-defense course. And like, I don't know what the boys did during that week, but the girls did self-defense training. Oh, my God. The guys learn not fun. to be ashamed of their morning wood. Yeah, right. See, women learn how to defend themselves from being raped and murdered. Men learn that their boners are natural. Right. <laughs> And, you know, hopefully to not rape and murder. God. Yeah, seriously. Like, if if the girls have to learn self-defense, the guys should have to learn consent. And here's the thing, though. Men and women, everyone should learn consent. Everyone, I think everyone should, should learn, learn self-defense. Everyone should learn self-defense. You never fucking know when you're going to need right? it. Right? And just because you're strong doesn't necessarily know mean you know how to like get out of holds and stuff exactly i have i've never taken a self-defense course i really wanted to but i got into the boxing instead i was doing that for a while just as good it is great because when you start to get tired you just like a name will pop into your head you have no control over it but a name will pop up in your head and you get so angry and like another 20 minutes have gone by and you're just like he's like hulk out (laughs) yeah basically my name oh no it has not I did not know Stella Rosa was sparkling. Not that it's bad. You said it, and I was like, the can doesn't say sparkling anywhere. I, Stella, yeah, Stella Rosa is always is bubbly. Like, that's their deal. But yeah, they had a bunch of different flavors, but I figured the mango would be a pretty safe bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. All right. Well, I we're both just, like, sipping on this wine right. real hard. So real I think good. we should dive into the stories. Yes, and I get to you go get first. You get to go first. Um, so long-time listeners of the podcast know our struggle with French pretty intimately it is such a beautiful language that we cannot speak and i have another beautiful language this week that is just as hard if not harder for me than french and it's polish and i had a friend that was polish growing up and like i actually really liked the language because her family spoke it at home Mm -hmm. and it was like i mean i never understood what they were talking about but it was like it's a nice language but yeah like i started like writing my story and i'm like I don't know what any of these words are. Here's the funny thing. So so my mother is 100% Polish because both of her parents were uh, came from immigrant families who came from Poland. Yeah. So this is going to be really exciting because as you're trying to pronounce Polish, one half of my body is going to just start burning and I'll know that's the Polish part. Yeah, you'll be like, Kelly, that's not right. <laughs> oh, I my God. feel it in my blood. I'm going to get a text from my mom like, Emily, what are you doing right now? Because I'm getting all kinds of aches and pains. Right. You must be doing something Awful. Did you show her or send her the Olivia de Havilland pug picture? Oh, I didn't. I should. That's why I sent it to you is because I was like, Olivia de Havilland died, but not really. It's funny because as much as our listeners are sick of hearing the Olivia de Havilland story, Olivia de Havilland died? 
Uh, Jared is even more sick of it because I show him that picture and like I retold that story to people in front of him and he always is just like I fucking know the and my mom has told him that story multiple times because all I have to be like mom um what was that one time where grandpa tricked you guys into thinking Olivia de Havilland I'd oh well let me tell you and like so I've got so I fucked with Jared where I'm like I can guarantee tell the Olivia de Havilland story be nice to me Uh, my family's like a bunch every, of storytellers. I feel though. like every family has that. Like the parents have that one story that they oh, just yeah. love to talk about. For my family, it's like twenty stories yeah, I have heard a billion times. Too. Don't worry. All so right. I have another downer. <laughs> Yay! Oh, it's actually like in, in the same vein as my last downer, just slightly less intense. That's okay right. because mine is mine's an upper. Yeah. See, we balance each other out. I tell the downers when I'm going first. Here's the thing, though. I am terrified now to cover a downer because I'm like, the second I do, she is also going to cover one. And we're just going to have the saddest, like, drunk crying right. episode ever. And I found this one on, I think we decided it was Instagram. Um, I don't know what it was on because I just screenshotted it because that's what I did. Um, but it was posted by Europe Remembers. So... I don't know if it was on like a bigger post or what, but that's who posted this specific woman. And I don't know if we got tagged in it or if I just saw it while scrolling. I don't know, but there you go. So today I'm covering Danuta Shedjikovna. And this is just, (laughs) that's one name. Um, So Danuta was born on September 3rd, 1928 in Poland. Her father uh, is... Wakla Seedwick, Seedswick. I'm already doing terrible. Uh, he was a forester. He had previously been sent to Siberia under the Tsar for being involved in a pro-Polish independent organization. Oh, no. But had returned, obviously, by the time of her birth. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Um, however, in 1940, so 12 years after Danuta was born, uh, he was arrested again, this time by the People's Commiserant for Eternal Affairs, or the NKVD. The People's Commiserant? Commiser... Commiseriat? Something like that. It sounds like a bunch of people who get together and just bitch. Like, yeah. Like, you know, c- yeah, to commiserate. commiserate. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they're known as the NKVD, and they do pop up again later, but I'm okay. just going to call them the NKVD. They're a venereal disease. Moving on. Okay, um, I am so glad you said that because I was like, Emily, don't make a VD joke. Don't make a venereal disease joke. <laughs> well, I said joke. it like four <laughs> times and I'm like, oh God. VD, VD, VD. Okay. Um, VD, VD, VD. So this internal affairs place was the interior ministry of the Soviet Union. So like it's a Soviet Union group. So he was once again deported to Russia um, in 1941. So a year later, he joined the Polish army and he would die in Tehran, which is the capital of Iran. Not sure why he was there. Tehran. Tehran. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I'm um, here for you. In 1943. Just don't trust me with any of the Polish, You're even fine. though that is my ancestry. <laughs> so her dad got deported when she was 12 and then went on to join the, the Polish army and then died in Iran a year later. That sucks. So her mother, 
that poor woman, um, <laughs> was a member of the Home Army, which it was the dominant Polish resistance movement in Poland when it was not occupied by Nazi Germany and then the Soviet Union during World War II. Damn. Um, they were originally formed, this is just background on the Home Army, in February of 1942. And over the next two years, they would absorb most of the other underground forces that was that were working in Poland. So they mm-hmm. kind of just became one giant group. They were allied with the Polish government that was in exile, and they constituted the armed wing of what became known as the Polish underground state. You know what's interesting about this? When we learn about World War II, like the French resistance, everyone is aware that the French resistance existed. Poland had just a big, as big of one. Well, and the thing is, we always see, we, we're always, the narrative is always like, Poland was invaded first, and they just kind of folded, and yeah, sucked for them. No. No, they were fighting, like, the entire war. I think it's pretty safe to say that even in Germany, there were people fighting against the Nazis. Anywhere Nazis were, there were people fighting back. people were like, this is not okay. Like, this was not just a communal, everyone rolling over and playing dead situation. There was always resistance. Yep. So their mother was a member of the Home Army, and she was killed by the Gestapo in September of 1943. Oh, goddamn. You're not even waiting to bum me out. No. You're just like, we're just going to dive into this so way th- those, deep. Those are her parents. Um, however, Danuta grew up with two siblings. Why let... Why, oh, gosh. Vaislava was one of her sisters, and Irina was the second one. I like that name, Irina. I do it's, too. It sounds like she's like a little irate, right? Um, I would name a kid Irina I too. So they grew up in a forester's lodge, obviously, because their dad was a forester. Yep. Um, after their father was exiled, they then moved to Nar. <laughs> Did you just like <laughs> splash yourself in the face? Oh my god! Am I blind? No, you're fine. Your, I, eyes, your eyes are closed. Apparently, I like tilted the can back too, too quickly so like i drank it and then i was pulling away from my face i did so quickly that it like literally spit in my eye and now i am crying wine tears oh, oh my funny. god that scared the hell out of me that's funny though. i closed my eye just in time though like it did not i know i just look eyeball. over and she like flinches and i'm like uh. oh this is not the bad part of the story i promise <laughs> i'm already wine crying so after their father was exiled they moved to Nar- narfika um, where the girls attended grammar school until 1939. And then from 1939, during the Second World War, up until 1943, all three of the girls studied in the Silesian Sisters School. So they were getting an education. Mm-hmm. However, after their mo- mother was born, mother was born, murdered by the oh Gestapo, completely different things. Um, Danuta, who's 15 years old when she was orphaned, because her dad was already dead by this time, together with her sister, uh, Vyslava, which had to put that name in there twice, um, <laughs> they went on to join the home army after their mother. Okay, so they followed in her footsteps. Yep, and this is late 1943-1944. Um, and as part of the underground army's training, uh, Danuta went on to acquire medical skills and started working as a medical orderly. Okay. However, after the Soviets uh, took... Balistok? Balistok? Sure. I don't know. I I don't know. It's a Polish city. I'm probably saying it completely wrong because it has an L with a slash through it, and I have no idea how to pronounce Uh, that. Yeah. Um, So they took it from the German Nazis because, you know, there was that whole thing of the Soviets and the Germans. They were, you know... I'd, yeah. the, the Soviets and the Germans were buddies for a while. And then they weren't. And then because Hitler and Stalin had kind of this, like... Tensuous team up, and then Hitler was like, 
fuck you, Stalin. Right, and Stalin was like, fine, fuck you, too. And here's the but thing. But they really fuck weren't. both of them they, because they suck. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they, they eventually joined the Allies, technically. They, but they, they weren't super nice to the countries. They Like, they still took over. Like, they took over Poland. They didn't, yeah. like free Poland from the Nazis and go, hey, you can go govern yourself. They were like, no, we own Poland now. Yeah. Like, it was, yeah. And, like, I I know we have covered a lot of women who fought for the Soviet army in World... We're not saying they were all bad. I I think we can still acknowledge that uh, the military accomplishments of those women were badass, but still acknowledge that Soviet Russia was fucking garbage. Yeah, under Stalin, yes. He was a piece of shit. Yes, he was. So after the Soviets took control there, she went to work as a clerk in a forest inspectorate in Hatanoka. Did you I, say it confidently? I actually looked that one up. Or rather, I tried to look up all of these. Some of them didn't have pronunciations. That is always the worst. Like, this can't be that, like, obscure of a word or town. <laughs> right. So as she was working there in June of 1945... Her and other employees in the inspectorate um, were arrested by the NKVD and the UB. The UB being the Ministry of Public Security, which was like a secret police intelligence style that very closely remember uh, resembled the German Stasi or the Soviet KGB. Oh, okay. So this is the Polish under Soviet Soviet rule secret police. Okay, essentially. So she was arrested by them for collaboration with an anti-communist underground, which she was obviously part of. That that blows my mind because she was also fighting the Nazis with that group, but like... They were really just trying to free Poland. Yeah. Okay. So they were like, everyone get the fuck out. Right. They're, I'm done they're, with they're you. They're a pro-Polish group. Okay. I see. Well, anti-com- yeah. Anti-communist. That okay. works too. Fair. Fair. Um, she was, however, liberated from the from not the prison, but a prison transport convoy. By what was known as the oh, the Wilnower Group, which was a section of um, Home Army partisans. So, like, they were ex-technically Home Army, but they were still, like, associated with them. Yeah. Um, they were commanded by a man. So, in this section, I took their nicknames because their real names were really hard to pronounce, except some of their nicknames are also really hard to pronounce. So, this one is commanded by Konis, who is a subordinate of Lapazuko. That's the other one I don't know how to pronounce because there was no pronunciation. It has another L with a slash through it. Okay. So this Lapazuka was the higher up and then Konus was the like second in command essentially. And he was the one that rescued her and took them back. So she was like on her way. Yep, she, she was, was on, on her way to prison to be sent and to prison. And this they were like, no. chunk of army uh, came and like rescued them. But then took them to like his to Le, the their Puskas own camp. little stronghold yeah okay um where they either let them go or some of them including denuda just joined up because she was like yeah i'm are you know already with the resistance of course yeah I'll, like of let's course just keep I'll fighting fuck it <laughs> right so she subsequently became a medical orderly for this group of the resistance um and then went on to be part of a squadron led by piast um, and then for a short period, her su- her superior was a guy named Lieutenant Noina. Again, these are all um, their nicknames. Mm-hmm. And then she also, oh, so Noina is um, became later known as uh, Powell Jasinskinka, who is a notable Polish historian. And it was during this time that Danuta assumed her own alias of Inca. Oh, I kind of like that. I do. It's That's Russian. Cool. It's very Russian. 
So I was thinking the like the Inca people or the Incan that people. That is actually exactly why she took it. So she took her nom de Greer, which is what they call an alias. Apparently that's like the formal name for it. She chose Inca, most likely in reference to the powerful and almost incon- unconquerable Inca people in former Peru. Oh, shit. I see you, Danuta. I see what you did there. Right. So this section of the army was dissolved around September of 1945. And to avoid capture, she changed her name, changed her name, to Danuta Abuchowskitz and moved from Poland to German East Prussia, which was now part of Poland. Okay. So this it was that. Well, and Poland has a really uh, complicated yeah. geog- geog- well, was, geographical history because they've been invaded by Germany and Russia. German and East all Prussia like prior to the war, and then German kind of consolidated everything. And then when the Soviet Union took over, it just kind of became part of Poland. Yeah. So my mom has tried to do like ancestral research and actually oh, like... Where some of my ancestors came from was technically Russia at certain points. Yep. And so I know, my it's grandmother. Very confusing. If you like, you can do those like shifting maps where you, if yeah. you look at like Europe and like who owns what area. It's very interesting. Well, my grandmother wanted, so she would always cheer to good health. And mm-hmm. then she would always say Nastrovia, which I always thought was Polish because she was Polish. No, it's like this almost like bastardized Russian. Yep. Th- like Nastrovia's. Russian. It, yeah, it's just like a, a cheers, but because they have they were influenced so much by Russia. Yeah. I was I like, mean, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's Poland's history is very interesting. So yeah, she moved to basically a completely different part of Poland mm-hmm. um and took back up with the forestry registry, because why not? Because mm-hmm. that's what you know, that's what she had done before. Um, but she ma- maintained close contact with um the anti-communist resistance like other sections of it just because her brigade was dissolved you know she she's still in it to win it exactly though. this isn't like oh my group dissolved well it's not like girl it's scouts kind of like it's like being, my girl scout troop isn't meeting anymore i guess i'm not a girl it's scout kind of like anymore. oh i'm not deployed in the army but i'm still part of the army yeah exactly because um in nine in january of 1946 her brigade was remobilized um in response to communist repressions that were happening in poland at that time so in early spring of 1946, she came in contact with a second lieutenant by the name of Zalanzini, who was one of the commanders of that squadron. And she served in that in his squadron until July of 1946 as a liaison and paramedic. She participated in actions against the NKVD and the UB. I thought she was a part of the NKVD. No, the NKVD is... The she's a part of the home army. Was her dad a part of the NKVD? No, he got arrested by the NKVD. Oh, okay, twice. okay. That that's why I'm getting so confused. Okay. No, the NKVD is like the um they're the um that that's the People's Commissariat for Eternal Affairs, which is okay. Um, I see. I the thought internal he was a part ministry of, that? of Soviet Union. No. Okay, I will just remember. I I should have made the connection. VD is bad. Bad. <laughs> um. So she, you know, participated in actions against them. And then the lieutenant died, unfortunately, um, probably in the fighting. And a new commander took his place and ordered Danuta to travel to, I couldn't find the pronunciation to this, and I'm going to butcher it because it is spelled G-D-A-N-S-K. So I'm just going to go with Dansk and just, that's what we're going to say the city is named. Oh, that's, I was going to. I'm just going to say the G is silent. G-D-A-N-S-K. 
Yeah, I, I would say Donsk. that's probably Donsk or yeah, that's probably pretty uh-huh. safe. But she was sent there to try and get like medical supplies from them, which is, you know, a good thing. Uh, however, once in Donsk, she was arrested again. No. And this was July 20th, 1946. While she was in prison, she was tortured and beaten. But ref- Oh, no. But ref- I'm not going to go into detail this time because there wasn't any. Um, but she refused to give up any of her information or any contacts in the anti-communist underground and their meeting points. So she gave them nothing. nothing. Damn. Danuta's brutal interrogations were personally supervised by the head of the investigations department at this particular office. So the top son of a bitch. Yep. Whose name was Joseph Bick. He went by a bunch of other names. You mean Joseph Dick? Yeah. That's he his went, name now. Yeah. He That's how history remembers you. Bunch of other names, but I didn't get into it. They were all very similar. Um, just a little future into him. This makes me mad. Uh, in 1968, so after the war, obviously, uh, Bick immigrated to Sweden claiming anti-Semitic persecution. Uh, there was an indictment against him, and he was accused of participating in court-sanctioned murders perpetrated against members of the Polish Democratic Forces. Facts. And Polish Secret Army Police, whom he was beating and torturing in order to extract confession. Facts. That's it. But he's like, no, they're, they just he was just, in, he was just indicted for it. He like, that was it. it. N- nothing came of nope. it. How sinister is that, though? Because obviously the Jews have been so horribly persecuted during this period of time and he's one of the sons of bitches who's doing it and murdering people I know, and, and then violent. he moves and, and he's then like he's anti-Semitic like, remarks no like how dare he use it's, the crimes yeah, he committed very, in his favor it's very interesting fuck him so even though she didn't she didn't give them any information and she was charged with taking an active violent part in the attack on functionaries of the Ministry of Public Security um in a village near Padjazi as part of the unit she was part of, despite the fact that she was a medic. That's what she was I trained was gonna to do. I was going to say, I haven't heard anything about her setting bombs or making yeah, bombs or very, shooting. Like, she is a medical is very, professional. And then she worked for the Forestry Service. Like, those were her two jobs. Um, I don't know. She chopped down that tree with an axe. She's a violent, right. crazy person. So she was accused of shooting at a policeman and even issuing orders to other partisans. However... The testimonies submitted by the by the other groups involved were contradictory at best. It didn't matter. This was all like pretend. Let, let me go through this, though. Um, so some people that testified claimed to have seen her shooting and giving orders while other people were like, nah, I didn't see that at all. Um, one man named Mike, Mike Lassau Mazur testified that Danuta had given him first aid after he was wounded by other people. So, like, there were people that were like, no, she she helped both sides. Like, Yeah, she was you know. just treating sh- people who had been shot. Right. Um, she was, however, charged with killing a wounded policeman, a charge, like I said, that was contradicted. But the court, deci- and the court decided that she had not played a direct part in the attack, but she was still charged with killing a wounded policeman. Hey, you didn't do anything, but we're going to charge you with murder. Right? Because <laughs> so, it's it's all for sure. None of it's real. Right? People are just telling you what yeah, they want exactly. to think you had done. And, you're and done. yeah, so despite the fact that the court said she didn't play a direct part in the attack and the fact that she was only 17 at the time. Jesus. Uh, the court still sentenced her to death. Jesus. The president of the People's Republic of Poland at this time was Bol- Bolesław Barut, um, and he refused to gl- grant her clemency. Um which this 
uh, her public defender was the one that asked him to grant her clemency, and she actually wouldn't sign the request. Really? Because she was like, you know what? I have my principles, and if they want to kill me for them, they can kill me for them. Well, and she's being pardoned for something she never did in the first place. Yeah, it's this whole thing, basically. But she refuses to sign it. She knows what it's about, though. She knows it's not anything that she's done. It's just who she is and what she's fighting for. Right. And the president that you're talking about, he is the Soviet-appointed president? Because isn't... Uh, did you say the Soviets The People's Republic of Poland. So I think that was during Soviet rule. Okay. I, I believe. Well, she's fighting for a free Poland. And if that had happened, I think she'd like be like, okay, we're cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it was, it was the biggest uh, communist uh, state at the time, uh, right after Russia, right after the Soviet Union. Just in case, sub sub history note there. So, uh, Danuka uh, was executed along with Felix Sel- Selmanowskiewicz, um, who was also part of the underground resistance, six days before her 18th birthday on August 28th, 1946. Jesus. In Dansk prison. So she was executed. Days before the execution, she sent a secret letter to the nuns from Inca. She managed to get it smuggled out of the prison, and she wrote, Please tell my grandmother that I have acted right. Oh, Danuta. Yeah. Honey. The last minutes of her life are known from the testimony of Father Marion Prusak, who was the priest chaplain at the time, and gave both Inca and Felix last rites. Inca as in Danuta? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, According to him, both prisoners were calm before their execution. Danuta, after taking the sacrament of penance, asked the priest to inform her family of her death and gave him their address. Um, Afterward, the two were executed in the basement of the prison, tied to wooden stakes. They both refused blindfolds, and when the prosecutor gave the order for the execution squad to to fire, both prisoners simultaneously shouted, in Polish, long live Poland. Oh, my God. She remained alive <gasps> after the first firing, and the coup de grace was delivered by Francis Sawicki, who was the head of the firing squad, um, because other members of the firing squad refused to do it. Because she's a child. Right. Um, the location of her remains uh, were unknown until 2014. Shit, seriously? Yep. Oh, my God. I can't um, believe they found them. They were discovered due to a nationwide program launched by the Institute of National Remembrance in 2003. The remains were confirmed uh, via DNA testing in 2015. And on August 28, 2016, a state burial attended by the now, or no, maybe not now, at the time president, Andrzej Duda, who was the president of Poland, um, was held in Dansk at the Garrison Cemetery for Danuka and her companion. I have fucking chills. What? What are you googling over there? Um, Who the president that, of Poland is? No, that that name struck a chord with me. Okay, the the Republic of Poland is, I guess, what it is now. Oh, really? Yeah, because it it's it has his name. It says President of the Republic of Poland. Hmm. Now I have to go so back he so he is we the, he is the current that. he is the current president. Yeah, there there's um there is a uh, there was a it political... used to be the People's Republic of Poland. Okay. And it was the People's Republic of Poland from 1947 to 1989. I think I was getting his name it was mixed up with someone modern, else's I was thinking of. This was the predecessor to the modern Republic of Poland. Yeah. But yeah, it was government imposed by the USSR. So yeah, it was. Yeah. 
You know, I you told me that story was going to be a bummer, and it was a bummer right was at the bummer. beginning, and then I kind of got, got into better, it, and, and I forgot how it ended. I cannot. That's incredible that they were able to find her remains. Yeah. And I'm sure the remains of others yep. weren't just looking for her, no. but then to confirm it and like give her a proper burial. I know. I think that's so nice because we hear these stories all the time where it's like, yeah, no one fucking. I mean, the 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 story you did not last week, but the week before ashes and stockings that's that's all right. there was exactly left. and we there's no way to fucking um, identify that so there were a few things that happened after her death um father prusik who gave her last rites did deliver the news of her death to her family although they had already found out through other sources yeah by that time um and unknown to him he was under surveillance at the time <gasps> and no was charged with espionage for informing her family about her death he Shit. spent what? three and a half years in a communist prison are you fucking serious yeah. what um, the fuck and then one of the most not most terrible one another terrible part of the story is after the fall of communism in poland the main prosecutor of denuda's trial who demanded the death penalty for her was brought up on charges of judicial murder twice however both times he was declared innocent what no Yep, his argument was that he had only marginally been involved in the cases. Even Shut though the he was fuck the one up. that wanted the death penalty. I only demanded the death penalty. I was marginally involved. Right. I, here's the thing, though. If that sentence ended with anything other than his dick, like, turned itself inside out, I was going to be unhappy. Right. But I could have been happier. <laughs> right. So, uh, legacy. On Polish Independence Day, which is November 11th. Oh, that's Veterans Day for us. Uh, and... No, that's fifth. I was thinking the fifth of November, which is um, Guy Marks or Guy, Guy Fox Day. <laughs> My brain is all over. Um, but anyways, on Polish Independence Day in two thousand six, President Lasz Kaczynski posthumously awarded Denuda the Commander's Cross of the Order of the Pol- Polina Restituta, which is a very pretty medal. Um, that ha- is given to military and civilians as well as foreigners for outstanding achievements in education, science, sports, culture, art, economics, national defense, social works, and civil service. Wow. So she got a very pretty medal awarded to her. Nice. Also in 2017, the National Bank of Poland, and if anybody has one of these, I would actually like to see the entire series, not just hers, but they introduced a 10 Zloty Silver commemorative coin as part of what they call the cursed soldier series because these people that were in this home army were no that became known as the cursed soldiers it's okay kind of a whole sad thing but they get, they made one in honor of denuda and i would love to see that Aww. um she has at least two films made about her they're both inca and they're but they're both polish i haven't there i didn't check to see if they were any um like english english translations yeah in 2000, there was a play made after her. Um, there's a poem. She has several like parks and schools and a wow. gym and a high school, all in Poland. So, um, so she has has several some, things named after some, her. Some decent recognition in Poland. Yep. Wow. She also has. Um, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven monuments and or memorial plaques dedicated to her. Wow. Two are in Dansk, you know, where yeah. she died. Um, and then other ones are just throughout Poland. There's uh, like one in Warsaw and then just like various parks that have put up monuments to her. Yeah. Which I think is absolutely fantastic. 
that's that's Danuka Shedko Shedjakovna. Danuna Shejnakova. Kuvna. Kuvna. Shejnakovna. Shejnakovna. Well, Nostrovia. Danuta. Nostrovia. Damn. Right. She was a one hell of a powerful woman. You know what's interesting is you know there's so much of that story that we're not getting. Right. Like I know, just and so I went much of the several day-to-day. sources and I'm like, I feel like there's just not not a lot because, here. Because I mean they're, well, they're able to record her movements and like maybe what she was doing. Probably but, you because know, there was a written record. Maybe of it not somewhere. a lot of record of what she said or what she felt right. or what she was thinking. I know, know, and I'm great that I'm so, grateful that like the priest kept a record. Yeah, you know, so that we at least have. I can't those believe last moments. Like, here's the thing: I totally can because you didn't have to do no. anything yeah. that could even be considered offensive Three to and get a nailed by the Soviets. Three and a half years just for telling someone's family. And that here's their the thing: died. three and a half years, you're getting off pretty easy, right? Like, well, I mean, I, you figure the family had to just be her two sisters. Yeah, but I mean, you're not. It's just, hey, by the way, she's dead, right? Like. I, Right. I'm not going to begin to argue the insanity of that because that's the fucking point. I know. <laughs> that was the whole deal. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a bit of an upper to bring Yay. us. Uh, so uh, speaking of languages I'm bad at, I am uh, covering. Uh, I got a little French in mind, but I'm fairly confident in my pronunciations. I so believe I, in you. I am covering Sophie Morjo. Now, <gasps> she was the lady that I was going to cover that I couldn't find any sources on that I've been like waiting to cover for months. It's super funny you say that because the whole first paragraph of mine is listing my sources, which I never do, but that's because there were so few sources. <laughs> well, now I don't have to keep looking into her, I guess. You don't. I, honestly, I'm a little bit sad that you beat me to her, but it's also my fault for never, like, mentioning it. Here's the thing. This is a four-page story. I probably could have actually done more, because I, like, towards the end of my research, I found a source that was very good, but I was like, it's nine o'clock it's at okay. night. I need to go to bed. I'm done. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited still. So before I begin, as I we've already kind of mentioned, uh, this woman is apparently so obscure, she doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. That is a big deal. Everything has a Wikipedia page, you know? Literally. My big toe. Everything. Probably has a Wikipedia page. I don't know. Uh, So I found a few sources on her. Uh, One, Rejected Princesses, which is actually where I found her. Seriously, guys, if you love history, check out Rejected Princesses. It's It's fun illustrations. It's good information. And the guy who does it arranges it in a way where it's really entertaining. You know, it's not just like, in the year of 1864, on the Western Plains of Canada. You know, it's it's fun. And sometimes he even does, like, whole comics right. of these women. He so. does at least one drawing. Sometimes there's, yeah, like, additional. Yeah. Um, there was also a video, Crossing Boundaries, the story of Sophie Morgeau, which was partially narrated by Sophie's great-great-niece, Mary Rose Morgeau. And this was from the Salish... Uh, Kootenay College, which provides educational opportunities for Native Americans, which I'm like, oh, that's fucking cool. And then there is also a uh, a book that I found through Google Books called Recollecting Lives of Aboriginal Women of the Canadian Northwest and Borderlands. So I did read that or part of I read her part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't like it is it, literally the most thorough source on it her. It really is. And it's a chapter in a book about a ton of people. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 a it's a 
thorough source, but it's a chapter. Like, yeah. it's not like, and it's not even like a super long chapter. No, no. So, so this is the kind of resources Emily had to go off of, which is very similar to the resources I had for Denuda. Yeah. So that book was edited by Sarah Carter and Patricia uh, McCormick. And then Sophie's section of the book was written by... Uh, Jean Barman, or maybe it's Jean Barman, J E A N. I'm gonna say Could Jean. Be either way, because that's my Canada. grandma's name. The, so I'm, that's I'm why I'm thinking Jean. I'm but saying Jean. We can go with Jean. Executive I support decision. your decision. <laughs> All right. So, so Sophie Morgeau was born in 1836 in Western Canada to a white father and an indigenous mother. I could not find the tribe her mother was from, and I'll get into that. Her parentage is like murky at best. Uh, otherwise, I would use that name. Because of her mixed heritage, Sophie was considered a Métis, which describes someone who is part First Nations and part French, mostly those from Canada. So, uh, it can be European, I think, but it's like mostly like First Nations parent, French settler yep. parent. It literally means mixed blood in French, and it does not describe all people who have mixed First Nations and European heritage, as those who identify as Matisse have a distinct culture and language, and they even have their own flag, which is uh, either blue or red, with a white infinity symbol in the middle. So they're their own like... Um, Subset of... People? Yeah, they, they have their own heritage and their own culture. They're their own group of people, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I was actually really anxious to use the term Matisse because I was like, oh, is that like a a shitty term for someone of mixed heritage? But like they have their own culture. They are their own people. So I'm like, I think I'm OK. If I am wrong, I am so sorry. Sophie grew up in a diverse fur trading community of white settlers, indigenous people, and Métis people. Growing up, Sophie observed how the community would adapt their identities based on their audience and who they were trying to trade with. So if someone could be assumed white and that offered an advantage, they would uh, say... They would assume white. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they would say they were white. And same if someone could be assumed indigenous. Right, and they just played with whichever one kind of benefited them the most they kind of yeah really uh weaponized sounds too harsh but utilize their their mixed heritage to their advantage which i'm like man yeah if you got it go for it why not Sophie adopted the strategy to the point where we don't even really have confirmation of who her parents were the story that Sophie presented to white people was that her father was a Catholic Frenchman named Francois Baptiste Mongeau, and her mother, Lisette, was a quarter Cree. Uh, okay, so I lied. Her mother was allegedly of the Cree nation. To uh, to there, indigenous people, I would I wouldn't say you lied because they we don't, don't know. know. <laughs> But that that was actually, I, I do, guys, I fucking dug for this story. So that was something I think I added later. Probably. Um, so to indigenous people, Sophie said that her father was a man of Chippewa, Scottish, and Salish descent named Patrick Finley. Historians guess that Patrick was probably her biological father, but Francois was like her stepdad. So Lisette had Sophie with Patrick and then married Francois. Okay. And, you know, then had a fuck ton more children. Although, according to ancestors.familysearch.org, Sophie is listed as one of his 13 children. And there's like a different wife slash mother listed. But again, this is 
It's all speculation. No one fucking knows. Sophie was born into a family of fur traders in the untamed frontier of the Canadian West. It was very much every man for himself. This is before everyone was all Canadian nice. So rather than working with established trading posts, it was like people were fighting for territory. So traders fought for fought for and fiercely guarded their hunting territory and for the right to trade with other groups of people right. and or nations. It was, or, yeah, it was it was ruthless. It could get real violent. In Sophie's family, everyone had to pull their weight, which meant that they had little time for traditional gender roles. As we've mentioned before, when fields need to get plowed, it doesn't really matter if it's a man or woman who does it as long as it gets done. As it's done. I think you got re- I think you got really into that when you covered uh, Dr. Martha Ripley for our 50th episode because yep. she grew up in like a frontier family and it was like, yep, and it was field needs like, to get plowed. I don't give a shit who does it. But right? when I turn around, that field better be fucking plowed. <laughs> this is what needs to get done. Someone yeah. better fucking do it. <laughs> Uh, so a record from a Jesuit father, Pierre-Jean de Smet, when uh, he encountered the Morgeau family, gives us some insight into Sophie's family and life. She would have been around nine years old when this was written. And this is kind of long, but it was just like, it was written so fun. So I'm like, I got to read it. The Canadian! Exclamation point. This is referring to the colonists, French Canadians. Into what part of the desert has he not penetrated? The monarch who rules at the source of the Columbia River is an honest emigrant from St. Martin. I, the district of Montreal, who has resided for 26 years in this desert. I'm like, God, is the, like West Canada really like a desert? Because, And I guess I think of like I Western was, America yeah. as deserty, but I always think of Canada as being more like lush and fruitful i don't know <laughs> so i was like desert where know. the I've fuck are you never been to canada to i be have honest. such a limited i'm like aren't there just maple trees everywhere <laughs> you just drive up to a tree stick your spout in and like put your pancakes under it and you're good to go story time when i was flying to scotland uh i sat next to a canadian couple who were going to the edinburgh fringe festival for their anniversary nice. and they had Canadian like maple leaf shaped maple candies from Canada with them and they offered me one and it was oh my god it was so good and I felt so bad because I didn't have anything like to give them because I'm like I'm traveling I'm not carrying shit on me and so I'm like digging through my pockets I'm like do you want some gum and I pull out this battered ass package of orbit gum and they look at me and just laugh and they're like oh no we're good <laughs> like i tried so hard oh and I, I think they thought it was cute but they're, they were like you're adorable they gave me candy they were like stereotypically canadian nice and they gave me the most stereotypical canadian candy i can imagine it was amazing i'm glad you didn't get poisoned i by still canadians. love them no canadians would never do that <laughs> all right so still this dude's quote the skins of the rain and moose deer are the materials of which his portable palace is composed. And to use his own expression, he embarks on horseback with his wife and seven children and lands wherever he pleases. His scepter is a beaver trap, his law a carbine. Encircled by so much grandeur, undisturbed proprietor of all the skyward palaces, the strongholds, the very last refuge which nature has reared to preserve alive liberty in the earth, solitary lord of these majestic mountains that elevate their icy summits, even to the clouds. 
Yeah. Bravo, father. That is a wonderful. Like, yes. right? <laughs> that is wonderful. The Morjo family would later make the priest a dish with two bear paws, a roasted porcupine, and a boiled moose muzzle. Right? I'm glad I got the maple candy. Right. <laughs> it could That's have been boiled so much moose face. <laughs> this is a really romantic description of of the life that they were living. It's very this like, he conquers all he can and, you know, he, he he's royalty of nature in the wild. But life was fucking hard. It was a constant battle. And because of this, Sophie grew up not only tough, but clever and would use her ambiguous heritage to her advantage depending on her audience, just like she had seen in the community she grew yep. up in. Knowing your audience was extremely important for Sophie because it was a super racist time. And it could be very unsafe to be identified as an indigenous woman. Like, you never really knew. Yeah. So growing up in a Catholic family, Sophie attended a missionary school where she learned social etiquette. So she's not just like, I don't know, gutting beavers and boiling moose face. Like, she's learning how to be a lady. This uh, this she would also turn on and off as need, depending on her audience. So she's basically a social chameleon. So she's she's like playing with gender traditional gender roles. Yep. She is kind Lending of playing with her needs. racial identity, yep. but then also the the kinds of social etiquette she performs because she's like this rough and tumble frontier girl, but also knows how to be a little lady. Right. So at the time. Regardless of your tough frontier upbringing, it was still a woman's job to marry a man and settle down. Sophie herself was married off at the age of 16 to 24-year-old Jean-Baptiste Chabot and moved to Washington State. However, instead of settling into her lot in life, Sophie instead pieced out of the marriage after only a few years, reassuming her maiden name and uh, began running her own trade route to local gold miners. Yep. While this was a traditionally masculine move, Sophie had grown up subverting gender roles, so she didn't give a fuck. And the pugs don't give a fuck. I don't know if you can hear them scratching at the door. <laughs> I want to open a trade route into the recording studio. Right. I'm trading cuteness for cuddles. Yeah, exactly. The fact that Sophie had connections in both Canada and the United States proved to be an asset to her trade route oh, yeah. as she successfully traded up and down the West Coast of both countries. So she's like, which probably wasn't widely done. Especially by a woman. Especially probably by an indigenous I wanna say woman. she was I wanna say in my research she was like the first woman to do that, but I can't guarantee that that's true. She is one of the first women to do something else that's really ballsy, and okay. I will get to that. Now, Sophie was a savvy businesswoman and knew that to stay ahead, she had to take advantage of every opportunity. First, she claimed Canadian land in her own name through the Dominion Lands Act, which encouraged the settlement of the prairies of Western Canada, kind of like we did in the United See, I States. If he called the prairies desert. Yeah, know, it, prairies it, are kind of flat. The prairies are all I, I, I. This may sound really ignorant, but I'm trying to imagine, like, equate it to the American West, where it's prairie and buffalo and desert and mountains and you know what we, what we think of as the frontier and i'm like i mean they're super they're much further north but they're still like getting closer to the coast so there's got to be some similarities some, yeah. in the yeah, I don't know. ecology i don't know we'll have to go to canada we will although they won't let us in right now no not now <laughs> no one will let us in and guys i totally get it and i understand and if we went no to new feelings. york right now from being minnesotan they would quarantine us for two weeks it's a thing 
Sorry, guys, I can't leave New York. I'm quarantined. No, basically, yeah, if you go to New York, you might as well schedule three weeks if you're from Minnesota yeah. because you have to be quarantined for two of them inside. I mean, because I can apparently Netflix we're in New epi- York. We're an epicenter. Yeah. And New All York right. doesn't want to get as bad as they were because they were real bad. Yeah. Um, so she basically claimed a bunch of land in her own name, and this made her one of the first women to yeah, do this, yep, she was, which is amazing. Which is amazing. Then she ran a small trading outpost out of a log and mud cabin, which she built largely by herself, tough as nails. To help run her business, Sophie employed members of the Kootenay tribe to care for horses, raise livestock, create yeah. supplies, and prospect for gold. So, you know, she's like expanding her business. She's employing people. She also ran whiskey, tobacco, and more because Sophie knew how to party. Right? Like, why the fuck not? Yeah. I mean, guy, if you're not running whiskey and tobacco, are you even doing anything at that are time? Are you even Canadian? Are you even alive? <laughs> As Sophie's great grannies described Sophie's business, uh, this is a quote and quick warning. The following quote includes some like unsavory language and terminology. I I debated on changing it. Maybe I should have. I'm. You still could as you're reading it. Yeah, I, I might. I, basically, I'm not trying to repeat anything flippantly, but these are uh, this is the language of the times. Sophie Morgeau, scorning to leave the servile life expected of a female indigenous person and of the most women who were even half white or a person of color indigenous (laughs) not the first color in the rainbow no thank you uh initiate her own enterprise undismayed that no woman either white or brown had done such a thing before she assembled a pack string and ran trade goods from missoula and Walla Walla to Fort Steele doing business with both whites and indigenous people. Yeah, she's just fucking owning it. Yeah, and, and you know, she's not, she is not perturbed by the idea that women have never done this. No, and she, she's and she's like, trading you know with everyone. Shit needs to get done. And she, I'm going to do it. And you can see she's trading with both white settlers and indigenous tribes. Right. And so she's using her, uh, like, kind of... Mixed background to... Yeah, her ability to yeah. present herself at as whatever's going to be most advantageous for her at the moment to her advantage, which I'm like, dude, people are so shitty when you're of mixed race. Like if you can use that to your advantage, fucking go fucking for do it. it. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not, no judgment, no hate. Now, because Sophie was a Matisse, uh, she could be assumed white or indigenous, as I've mentioned, depending on how she presented herself. I imagine it must've been, really complex managing different expectations based on your identity and perhaps this is why sophie's racial ideologies were also complex and that's kind of a nice way of putting it so even when around fellow matisse people sophie was known to refer to herself as one of the quote only white women on the plains okay she also had segregated washing areas for indigenous people which she strictly enforced so there was like the whites only washrooms that's inter- and- that's very interesting yeah however she also employed indigenous people like the kootenai tribe and looked after local tribes ensuring they had food and housing uh and she even like housed them on her own land she's like yeah guys set up yeah. your stuff you're good we're here cool and then the kootenai tribe children would also like visit Sophie and like hang out Aww. and she'd like give them treats and stuff which is super cute Sophie's hospitality to the Kootenai tribe actually caused a years long 
feud between Sophie and one of her white neighbors. The Kootenai people were offering the neighbor candy, and the neighbor threw the candy on the ground, claiming that since it had come from the tribe, it was inherently dirty. So just like being super fucking racist. This pissed Sophie the hell off, and she refused to speak to the neighbor, at least in kind words, for years. She's like, you do not fucking treat them that way. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Because it wasn't just an attack on them. It was also an attack on her. Right. One account from someone who knew Sophie well wrote of Sophie's struggle with her racial identity um, I'm gonna I'm gonna self edit this. I, I put a warning, but I think just self editing is gonna be yeah. the most amicable solution. Sophie was quick of wit, and surely she learned fast in the missionary school. Indeed, the social graces she was taught there, she never forgot. She used to turn them on and off as occasion demanded. So she used her skills in school. Okay. Um. But the attitudes and actions of her father and the other white men she knew spoke much louder than her words of the creeds of priests. So, you know, this whole idea, like, everyone's, you know, just love people. Like, that's not the world she grew up in, even though she was being maybe being taught that in school. Her mother was of the lesser race and of the subservient sex. On the whole, the female indigenous person was merely a indigenous man's hired girl or a white man's commodity no other feminine way of life was open sophie aspired to be white she aspired to be free and fearless like a man she aspired to be shrewd and pro uh propertied so that's probably why she has like segregated washrooms like and telling even Matisse people like, oh, I'm one of the only white women on the plains because she knows they have it better. And there's this like in deeply ingrained shame. Yeah. And but she she also defends like the Kootenai tribe and other indigenous people because she identifies with them. And she's like, well, if you're treating them like shit, that's how you would treat me if you knew who I was, you know. And so I, I think she's got like a a lot of stuff going on emotionally tied right. to her racial identity doesn't really know how to handle it and like maybe she did not handle it well i'm not i'm not saying like no it's fine she had segregated washrooms like that's shitty but this is where it is coming from and we, right. and we can acknowledge that shitty but we can also understand where it's coming from and that this is like a larger racial problem that's contributing to some of right. this like it's, it's learning from these it. issues like, she's having it happened it wasn't okay yeah but that doesn't mean she's a bad person. Yeah, and we, we can understand where this is coming from. And th- this is like a larger societal problem that's influencing her as an individual. Right. In addition to being a success... In addition to being a successful land-owning businesswoman who can say the word successful without saying sex three times, Sophie was an adventurer. Unfortunately, these adventures came at a cost. On one such adventure, while riding her horse, she was hit in the face by a branch, costing her one of her eyes. As a result, Sophie began wearing an eye patch and green lens spectacles for the rest of her life. She must have looked like a fucking badass, though. I wonder why green lens spectacles. I want Just to hide that she was missing an eye when she wasn't wearing her eye patch. Maybe just green was her favorite color. Maybe. It was the color of money. <laughs> I don't know. But like, I'm like, God, extra style points, like green Fuck, lens yeah. spectacles. And I'm like, imagining that's... they were like those like perfectly circular hippie glasses. Right. 
They're uh, like John Lennon glasses. Yes. green. During another frontier excursion, Sophie found herself dealing with a runaway horse and buggy, which ended up crashing. As Sophie examined herself for injury, she found that one of her ribs was protruding from her body. Sophie uh, then did what anyone in that situation would do. Just pushed it back in. Amputated her own fucking rib. Yes, this bitch ripped out her own rib, so she went the other way with it. Right? Also, because oh, Sophie God, had a flair for mm, style, mm. she hung the amputated rib up in her cabin with a pink bow. I mean, because the room needed a pop of color, right. you know, like they're just they, we need a focal point right above the bed to just bring the whole right. space together. And it's my rib. Yep. But there's a pink bow. So like it's, you know, got some flair. It's yeah. got a personality. Yeah, a little bit of feminine in there. Yeah. You know, it's fine. Just, yeah, it's fine. It's awesome. Now, you think that running her business and being a badass frontier adventurer would keep Sophie too busy for love. Actually, her love life was just as intense as the rest of it. One historian said, quote, She seldom lacked for masculine company if she so desired and had numerous men partners over the year. Years. There wasn't just like one year where she was going at it like crazy. Well, you don't know. Maybe, Maybe she did. Some outsmarted her, and some merely tried, winding up extinct. Oh, damn. (laughs) Many of these suitors were white, and Sophie would use them to basically, like, play the role of her husband. I can't help but wonder if there were, like, there must have been social benefits to appearing to be a married woman, like honor and respectability and whatnot. We got into a lot of that with Mary Wollstonecraft last week. I'm pretty sure it's also you can just be like, you know... If they aren't respecting you as a woman running a business, you can basically make it seem like it's your husband's business and you're just assisting. Because I'm sure especially a a single woman looks vulnerable and like a target. So it's like um, if I go out to a bar with a guy friend, no one bothers me. But if I'm there with even like five other women, the numbers do not matter. We're seen as targets because we're not accompanied, a.k.a. owned by a man, by a, we, a man yeah, has not first, already laid claim to us. The first question is always, "Oh, you don't have a boyfriend." And then he, you or know what I hate boyfriend? about that question? When you say you do, yes, I do have a boyfriend. They're it's like, like or it doesn't matter. Right. Like you, like pretending to have a boyfriend doesn't work. Saying no doesn't work. Like nothing works except telling, except like removing creepy guys from the face of the planet. Yeah. So. Sophie maintained that, quote, whatever husband she has on is not allowed to interfere with anything, only to do what she tells him, end quote. So it seems whatever to me that these were purely... she has on. Yes. So these were, like, purely performative relationships, and, like, I'm sure she was, like, getting busy because a girl got needs. Right. You know? So what would happen to a suitor who stepped out of line? I know you're asking, Kelly. I am actually with your fiery red hair, what, what burning is, with questions. What what is this uh, extinction of yes, the suitors you were talking about? The extinction about? event. <laughs> well, as one oral history discusses, when she ditched her thirteenth husband, quote. <sighs> uh, so she given just given her thirteenth husband notice to quit. Her last, having refused to do so, got shot for his pains. So they're talking about she's giving her thirteenth husband the go like. Like, you know, you can leave now. Yeah, his, you know, two seconds notice. The 12th, however, put up a fight and got shot. So 
Sometimes she would even get the new boyfriend to shoot the old one if the old one went back down. Oh my god, that's so funny. Like, what the fuck, Sophie? Holy shit! Man, she must have had some, like, vaginal hubris and, like, deserved it. (laughs) Right. Something was going on. She had some kind of crazy siren magic. In one extreme case, Sophie was with a man named Tom Clark, who was allegedly abusive and controlling. He would try to isolate Sophie from the community and would violently lash out. He sounds like a real gem. Yeah. Just stellar human being. Well, Tom Clark was later found mysteriously drowned. Hmm. wonder how that happened. He must have fallen in a river. Yeah. You know, he just, you know how men in water are. They They just just gravitate towards it. Yeah. You know, it's just a thing that happens. It's funny because it said mysteriously drowned, and I'm like, does that mean he was wearing a cape? <laughs> like, how do you how do you drown in a mysterious manner? You're wearing a cape while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have like a, a hood on. Yes, a little like Phantom of the Opera mask. Oh, this is a very mysterious drowning. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of mystery and drama in this drowning. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but Sophie's tumultuous love life would eventually catch up with her. Later in life, several of her lovers and business partners did take advantage of her advanced age and would rob her of money. Oh, Boo, actually, fuck them. I remember that, yeah. They should have also mysteriously drowned. Then a horrific winter killed much of her livestock, further harming her financial stability. These financial losses hit her hard, but Sophie was nothing if not a survivor. Late in her life, Sophie was forced to slow down, settle her affairs, and hired in-home caretakers. And then she eventually died in 1916 at the ripe old age of 80. Yeah, she just fucking like just old owned age. it. Yeah, this woman ripped her own rib out of her body, was blinded, like lost an eye, and she and lived to be 80. Owned it, yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing. Like, she greeted death like an old friend. She's laying in the bed with the rib hanging above her, and She's death like, comes hey. in, and he's like, Sophie, are, like, are you ready? Are we cool you, you, You're ready? Like, if you need a minute, I can go wait outside. You right. just let me know, girl. And she's like, get over here, you little bitch. <laughs> Right. She's like, yeah, I'm ready. Can we just fucking do this, please? Yeah, yeah. Stop wasting my time here. Her obituary stated, quote, hers was a colorful, zestful life, which if written in full would outsell any modern novel. I don't have a legacy section because beyond her insane and inspiring tales, Sophie doesn't really have any monuments or scholarships or plaques with her name on them. That I could find. If there are ones, send us pictures, please. Her tale continues to live live on, however, through its retelling. Through her story, we not only better understand this little told history. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess can Canada had their own, like, Western frontier thing. And then not only that, but just, like, what was going on with the indigenous people at the time right. and women and all that. Ugh. And so we understand this little told history, but also modern readers can identify with Sophie's struggles with gender roles and her own racial identity. Cheers, Sophie. Yeah, that she's amazing. You rib ripping badass. That just sounds so <laughs> you painful. One, you one eyed rib ripping badass. Right? Like, God Jesus damn. Christ. If I can do half of what she did, like. Right? I feel like though if you rip out your own rib, like I'm not you talking be about good. that part, <laughs> you should be good. Like well, you should get a, a pink ribbon on it. Oh my god! 
I want to like make those pins now where it's like a little rib pin with a pink ribbon on it. We should. Yes. It'll go on our jackets. Love it. I am thankful for going back to work. <laughs> I'm like, you always get mad when I ask you, but then you just sit there and oh. don't ask me. I, I try to. I try to like make it so it's every other. I never remember. No. I just hate silence. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm thankful for going back to work. Like I'm one of those people that I need direction, like not direction, but I need like structure, a, a bigger purpose, and. I would like I didn't have enough to do around the- like I had some stuff to do around the house but then when I was done with it I was like and now what yeah so being back at work has been good I mean it's only been the first week but I've thoroughly enjoyed it I'm really glad to hear that because I'm I'm almost anxious for when my work life gets back to normal because I'm like I- I've already spent a lot of energy adjusting to the way things are now what right. am I gonna have to do when I have less flexibility Ability? I I don't know. I know like, what you're saying though. You know, so. But what are you thankful for? Um, I got my hair cut today. It looks very nice. Finally, they had to take two inches off because it was just like dead and damaged. Yep, that's what they said about <laughs> mine too. They're like, you have a, a lot of split ends. I'm like, yeah. Well, yeah. It's been how many months? Well, and I was due for a haircut before everything shut down. Like, oh, I don't yeah. think I've gotten my haircut maybe since 2019. Nice. I mean, it's been several years for me. The so. lady was like, do you like straighten your hair or curl it? And I'm like, Maybe. no, <laughs> is it that bad? <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, that that feels good. I'm glad I got that done. I was very anxious about it because I uh, I've had situations. I don't go like to the same hairdresser. I go to one of those places where it's just you get whoever is available. Yep. And I love it because I'm not very finicky about my hair. Right. I'm just yeah, like, the just only fucking cut it to, like, a nicer let me get one out of here. I got my hair dyed. So. Yeah. But so I've had situations where you get like a hairstylist who like, I don't know, berates you for how you care for your hair. And it's like, bitch, I'm never going to see you again. Right. Sh- like, shut up. Like, OK, should I have not come in then? Like, don't make me feel bad for coming in to get my hair trimmed. So I was worried it was going to be one of those situations. Here's the thing, though. I think they understand that everyone had to go without hair care for right. quite and a while. I, I think the reason they like tell you is because they're like, hey. You know, I'm just letting you know why I'm yeah. cutting this amount of hair off. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the the, the, the stylist I had was, was wonderful. She was very sweet. And uh, she's like, I'll cut off as much as you want. But, you know, like if I two inches is going to kind of get rid of all the dead stuff and it's going to make your hair healthier. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do it. So, right. Yeah. And like I'm sitting nice. here, I'm like running my fingers through my hair and I'm like, it I can just tell feels it looks so soft. Healthy. Yeah. It, it's like. When she showed me two inches, like with her, you know, she's like, oh, here's where it would leave you. I'm like, that's not that short. And then after I was like, where did it all go? <laughs> but it's still really long. I just got used to right. it. Be- like I was getting some like, you know, free and wild spirited hippie hair. Right. Going, yeah. You know? and they, I think they cut like four inches off of mine. And yeah, like the the time I notice it is when I take a shower. Yeah. And it's like you run your hair through it and it just stops. And you're like, where'd it go? Where's the rest of my hair? Here's the thing. I had my hair probably... It, this length if not longer and I chopped it all off for a pixie cut one so I should this should I've not be that, that dramatic too. but that has been many years since my well, hair yeah, you just get short. used to what you have yeah but yeah so. I'm I'm thankful I was able to go in and finally get my hair cut and do a little uh self-maintenance I guess yeah. you could say it looks nice yeah so yeah 
All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. And we have an email address, which is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you, whether it's a say their name or just a hi or women we should cover. Really anything. We just we would love to hear from you and are you send doing, you our love. Are you doing like feminist arts and crafts? We'd we, love to hear about that. Too. We we have a we have a, someone on our Instagram who's been tagging us in stories. They're doing like our episode inspired art like yeah, uh, they did the night embroidery witches. they did the night witches there's another one that they're, they're, they're doing the fighting girlfriend yeah I think I know, and it's amazing and like so they did a night witches patch and I'm like I want that for my fighting girlfriend girl gang jean jacket <laughs> I thought it was a leather jacket now we're switching to jean jacket jean jackets are I always thought it was a jean jacket it was a leather jean jacket. jackets go someone, with everything someone email us and let us know what it was because in my mind it's been a leather jacket this entire time all right well you can have a leather one i'll have a jean no i have to match i'm okay i'm I'm okay with it being jean we'll do okay yeah all right Uh, also please rate us five stars wherever you listen if you're able to write a review instead of just leaving us five stars we always love those right we We try to respond if if able yeah not every every place lets us uh so we really love that uh, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.